So the sober method stands for stoic, observe, behavior, execute, and restore. And it's kind of an ongoing, repeating process in, in the making there. So as you said and mentioned, very true from the outside looking in. Just knock that off. You, you, don't, you don't need to drink. You don't need to use those drugs. I mean, it's very easy for someone who is not an addict to just boil it down to the least common thing. But it's very, very complex, and it's different from every individual. And what I found that is really interesting is that almost everyone's addiction can boil down to one thing. There's generally one root cause that drives addiction, and it's usually something traumatic. And I hate to sound somewhat cliche there because we hear this a lot or we've heard it. But what happens in trying to find your sobriety oftentimes is that we don't really get the correct tools provided to us. And so when I was going to group therapy, one of the challenges that I found is that so often we were just telling stories about the challenges that we faced, but none of us were really looking inward. You mean like a 12-step uh, kind of meeting? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. a 12-step, like AA, NA. They're, they're fantastic, and it, and it brings you together with a bunch of like-minded individuals. But I found it wasn't working for me, mm-hmm. and so I set off on my own and started really embracing Stoic philosophy and really started taking a deep dive into myself And ultimately, I found that my root cause was abandonment uh, that occurred when I was eight years old. So then I was able to take decisive action to avoid these challenges. So anytime that I might feel abandoned, I avoid those or I tell myself that you're not being abandoned. This is just your natural reaction thinking and believing you are. So that's where it all began. And so as I started to develop the system, I shared it in meetings and people just, Hey, this is working for me too. And seeing that really motivated me to push forward and fully develop it and then ultimately share it with the world. Well, that's awesome. I'm I'm very uh, interested to know a little bit more about it, kind of, uh, you know, break it down the steps or just in an overview of how it works or how it does want to use it or apply it. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, the first step is to begin asking yourself those internal questions. So, um, you know, if you have an action that causes you to do something, let's say what's so common today is device addiction, right? And uh, I didn't really even think about this being an addiction challenge until after my book came out. And I had readers reach out to me telling me that that my book was helping them with device addiction. And it wasn't even intended for that. Um, but this allowed me to then rethink how this really applies to devices. And the number one thing that is going on here is the device no longer is something that works for you. You are working for your device. So the very first thing that I always tell people on, on this device challenge is turn off all your notifications, which probably sounds scary to anyone who's listening. They're probably, no, I can't possibly do that. But that is uh, kind of step one. But why this works is because you're, you're taking away that, that ping that is coming. It's just like a, a shot. It's just like, a, you know, 
taking a, doing a line of cocaine or whatever your drug of choice might be, that's exactly what those notifications are. They're hitting your dopamine to like say, oh, you're getting rewarded. You're getting rewarded by all these notifications. Mm-hmm. And if you turn them off, it allows your brain to just function more normally and smoothly. And you already know when you need to check your phone. You don't need something to tell you to do that. And so that's kind of like, you know, in-device relation. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, at the end of all of what I just said, it's that inward look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Start asking yourself, why do I need this? What is going on in my, in my head, you know? Looking what, for what's like happening a, at that moment. Like a trauma that happened when you were young. Is that where normally it all starts? It, it, it does normally start that way. Almost everybody that I have worked with, I've coached, uh, you know, it's taking that real deep dive into yourself and asking, you know, I, I, something would be a stressor point for you. And then you will reach for your device or you will reach for a shot of, of uh, you know, alcohol or whatever the case may be. What, what were you thinking at that moment? What did you feel? That's really what you need to figure out. And once you figure out what you were feeling at that moment, then you start to think, when was the first time I ever felt this way? Oh, okay, it wasn't then. No, it wasn't then. And you keep pushing yourself back until you can figure out the first time you ever experienced that feeling. Once you reach that point, then you can start to unwind everything to build a more stable existence for yourself. So break it down a little bit further to me. Let's just use an example of some random person like uh, that we can say is the average of everybody that you've talked to. So it goes back and he realizes, well, I want to talk with the addiction, the uh, tech. So, for example, with the tech, <coughs> excuse me, with the tech addiction and device addiction, what normally is the reason or the trigger that makes us, uh, you know, fall into that particular addiction? In general, in general, it's interesting. Tech addiction, I have found, most often comes from a, a need to belong, uh, a, mm-hmm. do, a desire to fit in, mm-hmm. and the and and kind of a sub note of that is the fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. You know, so think of it as uh, you know being back in high school. You know, everybody can remember those coming up years in your life, and you were trying to figure out where you fit in the social strata of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anytime something happened, you wanted to be a part of it and you wanted to know where you were in that pecking order. What are likes at the end of the day? They're setting yourself in terms of how many people actually like me. It's the Mm -hmm. same type of thing going on in your head. And it's an extension of that, but at at a, a grand scale. And so you look at someone who may be a friend of yours in real life that may have 20,000 followers and you have 20. Now, how do you feel about yourself? You feel like you're inadequate next to them, and then you constantly are striving. Oh, man, I don't understand why my friend is liked by so many more people. And But in real life, you may be the one that's more liked. So then you begin chasing this, like, I'm going to achieve what they have achieved online. And, you know, in real life, the person with 20,000 likes may be, in fact, very boring to be around. <laughs> that, 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 that's what is really kind of interesting. So uh, it's fitting in. That's really the biggest thing that I found in the tech addiction. And I imagine loneliness has to play a huge part in there as well, right? It does. It does. But I think that the loneliness is something that has come out 
uh, it's kind of an extension of where this began. So we went into the device on a very minimal level, and then we stopped interacting so much with people face-to-face. And when that happens, it just becomes something that you go on down the road. You become more lonely because you aren't engaging with people in front of you because you're using the device. And so you're really, in, in a sense, you're driving yourself to be more lonely the more you use your device. Oh, man, it's hitting home for me. <laughs> um, no, I've had a tech addiction. I mean, huge tech addiction. I mean, and it's. I think it's extremely hard to beat because, you know, we have it in our hand. It's not like we have to go and find some shady dealer. It's in our hand. We need it to talk to our family. It's extremely interesting. It's like, it's useful. I mean, Jesus, it's so, it is quite the addiction and it does uh it does satisfy also like our i open youtube and i see like shorts and my brain thinks that i'm socializing right yeah yeah exactly but you just touched on something that was really interesting that i want to flesh out which was family and we you know a lot of us uh you know for tens of thousands of years we've lived close to our family we've had that family you know, like clan sort of unit that has remained very close together. And as we have continued over the last hundred years, we're more spread out, sometimes globally. And these devices have enabled things that we haven't had in a long time. I remember a story um, that my great-grandmother told me about how her parents, when they left Germany in the 1870s, they said goodbye to their parents. And that was the last time they ever spoke to them or ever had any communication with them whatsoever. Just wow. think about that. That's I mean, that's crazy. an amazing, that, that's scary and crazy. And now we just, you know, we FaceTime someone and, and it's, it's so it's gone the other direction, but you can't, that doesn't replace touch and it doesn't replace, you know, really being there. Mm. And, and I think that that's kind of the dangerous edge of these devices. It's like, yeah, I feel good because I saw my family, but you didn't really get that involvement with them. If that makes sense. Yeah, it was. St- you're still alone in a room uh, by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Underlying that. So, okay, let's get back a little bit to the steps. So we first identified the reason mm-hmm. or the trigger that comes from a trauma that goes way back. Let's say we found it. Let's say, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, for example, like what you said, abandoned. Let's just say somebody yeah. got abandoned by their parents, whatever. Right, now, right. what do you do with that? Let's All right. See. Well, now, now we have this root cause. You know, I, I talked about that question asking, you know, when did you first feel that feeling? Mm-hmm. So now in the O step of this, the observing step is that you really want to observe anytime you feel this. And I encourage people to write down and just basically take notes. Oh, I felt this. This is what happened. And I felt the same way I did when I was abandoned. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And so you start paying attention to each one of those interactions. And that is observing. So you are at least actively thinking and, and seeing when you are doing these things. We're not correcting any behavior yet. We're just trying to really identify and maybe point out to yourself that I'm having these thoughts 100 times a day. And you may not even realize you are right now. Um, for me, uh, you know, I was a very big alcoholic. You know, I, I would drink a, a handle of Jack Daniels a day without even thinking about it. Okay, wow. and and I didn't even bother pouring it. I just literally had a handle sitting next to me, and I drank all the time. 
you know, and any stressor I had, I just took a shot, just took a pull from the bottle. And that is a very bad place to be. Um, so in this first step, it's really just taking a look and seeing and documenting, okay, these are the challenges that I'm facing before you then go on to the next step, which is really the behavior correction. Which, I love that. I love that because uh, once we re- we have to first recognize something and observe it first to be aware of it, to be able to do anything about it, to also understand how deep we are and you know how what our situation is. Because I mean, we have no sometimes we have no clue or we don't kind of we're not thinking about it, right? So that's I really like that step. So um, so now behavior. How mm-hmm. do we? Uh, what, what what is this one about? So behavior is about creating that kind of alternate uh, path for you once you make this observation. So mm-hmm. in in my case, you know, I'd observe a stressor point that would make me want to drink, and instead of doing that, I had several go to alternatives. Like I would write down, I, I would just take to writing a quick essay about why I felt the way I did at this exact moment. And that was my stress release mm-hmm. or I'd get up and I would walk, I would literally go for a walk around the block. I mean, in the early like beginnings of this, I walked around the block a lot <laughs> because that was my, you know, that's how I let it go. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you need to have some outlet. Maybe it's pick up the, the, actual phone and call somebody or maybe in somebody that's struggling in tech addiction uh, get up and 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 walk to the park and engage in an actual conversation with somebody face to face and leave your phone at home you know Mm -hmm. um, those would be kind of recommendations that i give in that case so you're still observing your behavior you're you're still working on you know your fundamentals of your calmness your mindfulness of everything that's going on and and then you're ultimately taking this this action you know, mm-hmm. against it. And I imagine it, you should have the uh, behaviors that you're going to do already set before. Like, if I feel this, I can do A, B, C, or D, right? Correct, correct. You want to you wanna know where your go-to is as soon as, oh, I, I feel it. I observe that I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to go do right now. Uh, and, and then that's, that's really important. So going for a walk is kind of uh, one of your favorites because I imagine you go, you go, you're outside. You well for tech addiction, it must be also excellent because you're moving your body. You're also changing your environment. You're also outside. So if you're outside, you're less likely to be drinking out a bottle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and and the big thing here when I talk with anyone who has a tech addiction, don't take your phone with you when you walk around the block. You know, <laughs> I actually had someone I I was coaching tell me, well, I don't know, I still have the same struggle. I was walking around the block and then my I got a text message. I'm like, why did you have your phone with you? The whole point is to break the pattern. <laughs> well, that's how deep we are into it, right? Like, but um. Wow. Okay. So I have a few questions, but I want to get. Af- I want to continue the process, and then uh, before we get to off, talk, off topic, so sure. we got the behavior. Uh, do they should, should they uh, write down like the uh, every time this happens? Like I felt the the trigger, and then uh, I went outside for a walk. Should they write it down? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Recording this and writing these things down is really an important step. Mm. Um, 
So uh, moving then from that behavior and knowing what you're going to do is really the culmination of all three of the first steps, which is, is execute. And in the execute step, I really encourage people to start striving. I don't know how much this really impacts people that have tech addiction, but it, it definitely does in substance addiction, which is we generally go out and destroy a lot of relationships. And sometimes on purpose, you know, because we just don't like people anymore and we speak our mind and, and it gets us into a lot of trouble. <laughs> so in the execution step, it's the culmination of continuing to reflect on yourself, continue to observe behavior being mindful is there any new behavior because sometimes one addiction replaces another a good example that i see in this is that uh if are you familiar with ultra marathoners uh, yeah okay almost every ultra marathoner has an addiction issue almost really? every one of them yes and and it, i found that very interesting because what they've done is they've replaced their addiction whatever it was with now running like 26 miles a day oh they used to have an addiction Yeah, they used to have an addiction. Oh, okay. Now they're addicted to running. They've replaced the addiction for whatever they had. And now I would argue they're not actually – they still have an addiction. It's just running, you know. Yeah. And so I don't feel that they've really corrected anything. I applaud them. They're in fantastic health. But I don't think that they've actually pushed for, forward and done the hard work mm. uh, that is really required to get there. And I'm just bringing that up as an example. They're running uh, away from their – <laughs> it, it, literally, literally, they're running away from their addiction. Um, so, so that's really what goes on in in that E step. And a lot of people find it difficult to reach out. And the only thing that I would say here is that you would be surprised how many people are happy to hear from you and happy to to sit down and have a coffee with you and 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 you know take your apology. You know, mm -hmm. I I thought that that was going to be a tough part of my real movement forward. I mean, they encourage us, of course, in the twelve step programs. Yeah. Um, but if you've restored yourself to this level, if you're already starting to do this corrective behavior, you're going to be in a good spot now to go and re-engage with people. And you don't have to hang out with them again. You don't have to do anything beyond that meeting or that phone call. But, but boy, it's an important part of the process is to really, in your mind, you've put these things in good order behind you. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that, well, alcohol and obviously drugs destroy relationships And, uh, but tech neglects the relationships, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or and, if, and you can mm, go ahead. Or, or if you still talk to the person, you replace the person or even the phone with like the most simple and basic and meaningless text. So it's like, okay, you might still be talking to them, but it's like the, the level of the, of the connection has boiled down to like a few words in a text. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure that you've seen this, and it always discourages me when I do uh, see a couple on a date, and they're both looking at their phones at a nice restaurant sometimes. And, I mean, that just is so discouraging to me. And sometimes I think they're texting each other. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I, I would swear, or they'll they'll get something, they'll show their partner, you know, or, you know, like, oh, yeah, here, look at this. I'm like, they're not talking to each other at all. And and that I find that to be very sad because now you actually are in a in a space where you can engage and get rid of the tech and you're not taking advantage of it. Yeah, man, it's yeah, this is a crazy world. You see the kids like with the iPad on the on the they're on the eating and the family is like talking and the kid is like, you know, I don't know, three years old with the iPad shot in his face while he's like eating and mm -hmm. it's like, whoa. 
this is like dystopic like this is crazy but yeah yeah now. i mean i don't recommend it i mean because you know that poor kid is never going to be able to be without a device for the rest of their life i mean they're going to have to think about what you have to overcome if you put a device in a, a toddler's hand and i'm no child development psychiatrist or anything like that but i would think that this would be detrimental to their growth and there's so much well actually there's not enough but there is a lot of research well not a lot there is little research about how the screens affect our brains mm-hmm. not only our eyes right so it's like what is it doing to the brain of the child like i mean it's so crazy but but um so so the execute is to be aware of new patterns that could come up keeping track of reinforcing the previous steps mm-hmm. and what else and working on g- gaining forgiveness this is your you oh. need to gain forgiveness because that's putting the past completely behind you and when it comes to tech do we how, how does that look normally for a tech addict for a tech addict that that looks like sitting down with somebody face to face and actually having a conversation with them uh which is is difficult without your phone hey uh can we grab a coffee and please don't bring your phone mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's the type of uh i have a rule actually you can't have a meal with me if you have if i see your phone that's it i mean i'm <laughs> i'm checking out i i because i really feel it's important to engage with people face to face so not necessarily asking for forgiveness like forgive me but just the act of doing the right thing yeah exactly mm-hmm. Let, let's let's move our uh our relationship forward in this way let's begin to have conversations in person again mm-hmm. you're basically like reestablishing the relationship and you know i'll give the caveat that i am just recently applying these principles into device addiction so i'm still working through all of the particulars mm-hmm. um but this is what i'm recommending at this point is it's just that reengaging of the face to face without technology and when you do have a text exchange make sure it's like setting up that meeting to go have a coffee or go have dinner or go to the park or whatever it is you normally do play golf frisbee Got it. If you're and if you're in a dinner with somebody and they get their phone out, just slap it out of their hand and throw it to the trash can. <laughs> exactly. Then, uh, punch them in the face. No, I'm just but, uh, all right. So next is restore. Restore. All right. Well, then this is just your holistic final step. And what I recommend in this step is, especially for those in substance abuse, is that we're going to add on the sidecar of something that is is physical in exercise and diet and really balancing out the last bit of your body. So you, you've restored your mind. You've got yourself running on a good path. But one of the most important things here is you need to, to make sure that you remain in good health. The last thing you want to do is like suddenly pick up, maybe you start eating a little bit more. Like people who stop smoking, one of their biggest challenges is they tend to eat more than they did before and they put on some weight. So mm. how do you offset that? And so finding a new routine and finding that, that routine that allows you to keep restored at your optimal level. I like that. I like that. All right. I want to ask you about AA because I had another guest that talked also about AA and I've had, and I, uh, and I also agreed with him because he was saying about how AA didn't help him and things that are not that good about AA. So I want you to, to I mean, obviously it's helped millions of people and obviously it's a yes. good thing in general, but it's not for everybody. And uh, I want you to 
you know, what are your thoughts on AA? Well, I, I don't want to say bad things about AA because it is the most widely accepted, you know, starting point for people that are reaching, you know, that need to find their sobriety. So, I mean, I, I applaud it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel, though, that some of the tools are maybe, I don't want to say they're outdated, but they're, they don't work in a way that maybe we think currently. And tech may have a, something to do with this. I mean, we like to see more instantaneous response uh, in everything that we do today. Mm. You know, instant gratification is everything. And I don't feel like you really necessarily get that as you're going through the 12-step program. You've got a lot of energy and effort, and you're not seeing results as, mm. as fast as you might. Whereas when you're working the sober method, my method, you're seeing those things immediately. Mm. Within you know a week, week and a half, you've got yourself, oh, I have figured out that this is my behavior. I'm observing myself doing that. It might take you months to reach that point in AA because you start out in these initial ideas of working through your pain, working through your past, and and I think it slows that process down. People get discouraged. I've left an AA meeting before and literally been in the parking lot and people say, hey, where do you guys want to go grab a drink? I'm like, grab a drink? I'm like, ah, it's just one. We're not going to get drunk. I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? This wow. is not, this is not good. <laughs> so, um, that, I think that that is the, is the is the big challenge. The other thing I would say is that there tends to be in the storytelling when we talk about the past in group is that there can be a tendency to sometimes tip over into remembering the good old days. And mm. that's where I feel like it gets a little, you know, you start hearing these stories and you're like, yeah, man, that really was fun that night. We went to that, you know, club and we did, you know, and you start remembering it and your brain, of course, goes, man, that was a good reward. Let's go do that, you mm. know? <laughs> and and so that those types of situations, I feel, need to be avoided. And they, you, you kind of teeter on that line a lot with, with AA. Yeah, and I, I don't like about AA. I was actually in Internet and Tech Addicts Anonymous. Okay. Um, and I like it, but I think that AA and all those 12 steps are missing, like, that implementation and kind of new steps like that's what's great about the sober method it's steps it's action behavior change not just talking and talking and talking and talking it's actually boom 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 because uh, so it's like okay I got off whatever alcohol drug whatever addiction people are going 12 steps now what and that's why I liked actually uh, I don't know if you know about under earners anonymous no I don't know about that so it's a, it's my favorite 12 step uh, because it's, a, it's called under earners because it's for people that are like underachieving in their life. Okay. Or wasting time or under earning, you know, people uh-huh. that have a hard time like uh, making money, etc. So it's very like time management, like the meetings and everything are like uh, you get like action partners, accountability partners, and you have, they give you like schedules that you have to fill out, goals, plans. And I'm like, this is what AA needs, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, a lot of that, and I, and I spell this out in my book uh, as well, and I'm in the process of making this all freely available on the Flavors of Confidence website because I feel that this is a free-to-the-world type of plan. I, I want to help as many people as I can. But one of those in the restore method is setting out that schedule, you know, mm-hmm. and I literally give my schedule as an example. 
like what my average day looks like when I wake up, what I do, like yeah, my day is pretty repeatable. Mm. It's gotten a little bit more fluid the longer I've been sober. I'm coming up on eight years. Nice. And, uh, that's allowed me a little bit of flexibility. I don't have to be so rigid, but I still want to execute those things every day because if I don't, I feel like oh, I'm not making progress in whatever my end goal is. And then the long-term goal setting is actually part of my plan as well in that you lay out one-year, three-year, five-year goals on where you want to see yourself and what you want to see yourself doing. It doesn't have anything to do with your sobriety but those underlying goals will maintain your sobriety, and that's kind of the key. You need to know where you're going. I think a lot of us today are kind of, you know, putting our hands around, feeling around in the fog, and don't really have a set destination for what we're trying to accomplish. I totally agree, and it's a common theme in this podcast that I always bring up that uh, that point, and that uh, asking the guest about stru- this structure, this kind of. Um, scheduling all these things that are missing because in school they never taught us anything about that right so um people get into the real world they get there they need their boss to tell them what to do because that's what we went to in school they tell us what to do we did it but when it comes to us kind of doing our own things for ourselves it's like we don't have the tools to do it we don't have the skills we don't have anything so tell us um and that's maybe one of the big reasons people are so addicted to things because they don't have something to fall back on. They don't know uh, so many different opinions, how you should do this. How you should. So tell us, you know, how do you organize your life? How do you, you know, do, do those goals and how do you break them down and how do you schedule uh, your, your life? Sure, absolutely. So I, I start out on a, a long-term vision. So I set a 10-year goal. And I know 10 years, a lot can change in 10 years. But I want to really see the true horizon. Most people uh, you know, say, don't ever think longer than five years out. But I think that you do yourself a disservice if you don't look a little bit beyond that horizon. Um, five years, you can still make a lot of adjustments and everything. Three years, boy, you should be able to hit every one of those goals. So when you, whatever that three-year goal is, what I do is I break that down then and say, okay, how much can I achieve in each successive year to achieve that goal, whatever it is, okay? Um, so uh, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. So I aspire to be a rancher. I know that's a crazy concept, right? You know, I've never ranched in my life, but I love country, and uh, so, hey, I, I, I plan to go ranch, okay? So... Um, <laughs> Uh, This is actually, I'm in the midst of my second year right now. And so right now, this year, it's identifying like the exact area and begin working and talking with other ranchers, join uh, different groups, uh, which I've done, and start to visit uh, land and and talk with different owners and learn about everything uh, so that next year I can actually go into acquisition and, and ultimately live and run a ranch so that when you take any goal like that back in year one it was just identifying you know what did i actually want to ranch what did i want to you know was it going to be bison was it going to be you know whatever particular uh, breed of cow you know maybe i wanted to be a pig farmer you know it, it so i really was trying to uh flesh that out you know what was going to make me feel good in that first year and then you know I told you the rest on the three-year plan. 
so and and then the ten year plan is that this is a collaboration with a restaurant that I will run, so it'll be true farm to table. Nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's my hope, and uh, and so everybody can do something like this. You know, if, let's say you wanted to achieve something at work within a certain num- uh, number of years, maybe you need a degree to do that, and so how many hours can you carve out each day in order to achieve that? I need to set two hours every night to do studies. I got to enroll in these classes and I have to achieve this by this date. And then the hardest thing in the world has to happen. You have to hold yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the difficult part about life is because it's, it's, we all know what we have to do. You know, it's the, the easiest way to see how uh, bad we are at this is that the gym and I include myself <laughs> there. Like, I know exactly what I have to do to, you know, lose weight. There's no doubt about it. All the benefits, like, but the consistency is what gets us, like, the lack of. And I think that's where the system comes in to kind of help us and the goal, right, to help us kind of keep that. Um, and I like the 10-year, actually, because um, I do believe that anything that's good takes at least, well, I'm generalizing, obviously, but it's like five to six years if yeah. it's quick, but it's kind of like 10 years, you know, what I'm not recognized with my life. Like, it kind of has taken me 10 years to kind of... So, it's a... Uh, it's uh, I like that, you know, horizon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so the consistency, right, is, is where we fail. And the... Well, everything, but... So, we have but the But I think that you can... I think that you can achieve this. You mentioned the gym, mm-hmm. Okay. I hate going to the gym. I'm 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 with you all the way, okay? Mm-hmm. But I but I also uh, after I became sober, I packed on a significant amount of weight, like about 25% of my I I gained 50 pounds, which was a lot of weight to put on me. And uh, you know, I hated going to the gym. I couldn't hold myself accountable. I couldn't even hold myself accountable to go running. You know, or to do anything every day. I would, I would do well, but then it would go to four days, and then it was three days, and I was like, "Oh man, why can't I keep doing this?" Mm-hmm. And I realized it was because I couldn't get an a, an actual goal set for what I was trying to achieve—a measurable. You know, what is that measurable? So mm-hmm. I did the craziest thing, and, and I'm sure that others can think of some, of things to do. But what I did is that I decided I was going to become a competitive ice skater. Wow. <laughs> like uh, the ones that jump and do things. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. So about two years ago, uh, because my even though I was sober, my physical health wasn't where I wanted. But I, I laid down and I got myself a coach. I skate generally six to seven days a week. Uh, and here recently, I, I was in a competition. I took second place. Wow. And so there is that is that reinforcement because I have a new, you know, right now I'm working on a new jump. And so this is something I have to perfect. So every day when I'm going to the ice, I have to work. I get closer and closer and closer to having that jump hit. And that affirmation of, oh, I achieved that goal keeps me going towards the next goal. And I'm sure there are ways that you could do this in weightlifting and running. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run a, you know, five minute mile by X date. Okay. Well, I'm at you know, seven minutes and 39 seconds right now. So how much am I going to shave down a week? You know, mm-hmm. and that could be a good way for someone to set those little goals for themselves. But I like it because it's not only, a, it's a real competition. It's not just, yes. oh, I'm going to do this for me. No, I'm going to compete with other people. So you're triggering the uh, the competition 
you're triggering that, that you're going to be like in an actual competition so you better you know yeah. there's going to be people watching you so it's like <laughs> right you got that accountability and you got a coach yes right so and the deadline obviously so so those those things are kind of corner you right to keep keep going yes. in that direction I, I guess in this particular case, I do feel some accountability to my coach because I know that if I if I didn't, you know, show up, uh, she would call me and go, "What's wrong? What's go? You know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know." Um, so there is that accountability that you wouldn't have necessarily individually. But I think you could do this also if you join forces with a couple other people. Again, if you're in a tech addiction, this is perfect. You're out, you're you're running, you're at the gym, you're going to keep each other accountable to achieve that and meet every day at this time. And, and I think that that also helps. Uh, eventually, you know, it's still an individual sport. So it'd be real easy for me to just say, eh, I'm done. I'm just going to, you know, run around the block instead. And, and that's not really going to be helpful long term. But I, I think that we can keep ourselves accountable by setting those goals, whatever they are. Yeah, no, I, I love it because, uh, yeah, you're, you're basically attacking the problem from various directions. So you get the coach, you get the... Because I, I was... Uh, I wanted to do swimming and uh, and uh, I'm like beginner at swimming. Mm-hmm. But uh, my coach said, told me like, you know, you're really, you're, you have a lot of potential. Blah, blah. Like, do you want to get into a competition like even a beginner i was like yeah and just the idea of like having a competition like motivated me i didn't end up going because i moved cities and whatever and but uh it did kind of change my mindset like oh my god i'm gonna compete i have to train yes there's a thing and it's like now you're doing it for something you want to win so it does it's a huge like whatever you know goal or whatever a person like to try to find some way to be there competition maybe it's chess well get in a chess competition i don't know whatever it is find some way to you know make more angles of accountability and challenge and excitement you know about it right yeah yeah and here's one that i tell people all the time and there's actually it's funny i've been saying this for years but there's a book out that with the same title called always make your bed oh yeah (laughs) And, and, and what's funny is that I have been saying this before the book even came out, is that the right. most important thing that you can do in your day is get up and make your bed because it's your first self-affirmation. You accomplished something today. You made your bed. And you'd be surprised how many people don't make their bed at all. And, and it seems like a little thing, but it is a fulfillment. And you, when you're an addict, you need any little thing that shows you that, hey, man, you did something today. You made your bed. All right. You know? <laughs> So I, I always encourage people to start. You know, that's a a good first start. It's the first win. The first yes, kind of taking the the day in the right step right after you step out of the bed. Yeah, get out of bed, make your bed. All right, I'm already winning. What's next? Okay, I'm gonna go take a shower. You know, you know, it's Sorry. like yeah. So you're already in a better mood because you accomplished something. And it, it, I know it sounds silly, but boy, it makes a difference. And you'd be surprised how many people tell me that it made a difference in their life. <laughs> wow, and it's always those small things because a lot of life is just momentum, right? It's just yes, you know that that uh, they say like however you start the day is how you end the day. Yeah. So. So yeah, I like that, and it's there's a reason as well why we don't want to do it because 
there's like the res- that resistance to the positive as well. Yeah, that's what's kind of interesting is that I it, that you can get addicted to failure, you know. And mm-hmm. I and I speak about this briefly in in Flavors of Confidence, my book, is that when I was at the process of declining, like at the end, I, I you know I was running a company. And um, but all at once, I switched from trying to succeed to beginning to purposely destroy the value of my company and run it out of business. And I was I was actually actively trying to see how quickly I could go out of business. That's how that's kind of what you're saying there. You get addicted to the resistance or you you start feeling that the resistance is the reward. And that's exactly what was happening. It's the craziest thing. But I was actually the failure is what I wanted to happen. And so I was driven to fail. And and it was so wild to look back and think that that's something I did. Wow! How do we get outside of that rut? Let's say uh, we've been, you know, we're on that path for so long. Well, we just start day by day, basically uh, doing the right thing, um, just building the new habit. I I, I think it, I, obviously building those new habits is really important. But there needs to be some sort of pattern interrupt, you know, and you hear that word a lot now. But but really, you need something – you need to take one dramatic step in the right direction because then it makes it a lot easier. You know, maybe it's cutting off that friend that is constantly supplying you with your drugs, okay? You're not going to see that person anymore. and You tell them you don't ever want to see them. And, and so – Maybe that's your first step in in breaking that pattern. Or I always go to this bar Friday night after work and I get drunk and then I stay drunk the whole week and I never get anything accomplished. Okay, well, stop going to the bar after work on Friday. Mm. That's your that's your kind of interrupt to begin it. So whatever that, that kind of big step is, you take that big step, then affirm it again and again. I like that. So if somebody is in a bad direction, try to look for something kind of uh, drastic, dramatic, in the complete opposite direction. Um, yes. And then kind of try to keep doing it and, and then maybe adding more things. Exactly. To it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that you'll find good success in that. I like that. So it's a, it's a big, important action, kind of like a, like a blitzkrieg. Like it's a strong. Yes. Uh, exact concentration point where it's, you're going against that. Uh, all those bad habits that are, that are, uh, you're running up against to do one attack in one exact point to yes. kind of start moving the momentum uh, in that direction. In, in the opposite direction. direction. I mean, if you were in a car driving 80 miles an hour down the freeway, this would be throwing it in reverse and not destroying the car, of course, and going 80 miles an hour in reverse. That's basically what you want to do. So whatever action you're taking every day, throw all your energy into one thing going the opposite direction, and then then you can take those smaller steps to affirm what you just did and it'll it'll be easier to build upon wow i love that i love that concept yeah i mean and very important to focus on one because then we overcomplicate it right yes yes it needs to be a singular uh, directed focus you know and and i think that w- i think we all are prone to this especially in today's world we can go in a thousand different directions and those these devices we keep talking about <laughs> over the last hour have been this focus. They're the thing that allows us to focus on many different things. Uh, and one, you know, I touched on it at the very beginning, and I just want to reiterate it now, is that remember that these devices work for us. And at some point, that line has become blurred over because they constantly are telling us, hey, you got an email. 
hey, you got a, a message on Instagram. Oh, hey, someone just uploaded a new TikTok that you follow. Oh, okay. It, all of those things just pulling you into the device. Instead, it's like, I need to accomplish X. I'm going to grab my device and do that. And then when you're done with that, put the thing down. Don't suddenly, you know, go over and you're like in a death scroll on Twitter. <laughs> That's what you don't want. <laughs> Story of my life. So, uh, I mean, what I've, when I'm scrolling, I'm like thinking like one more, one more, one more. <laughs> Right, and that's I've, I've heard some people compare the tech addiction to the gambling. It's like the sim, mm. the, the closest addiction to tech addiction is the gambling one. The yeah. gambler is always like one more, chasing for that win, one more, one more, and uh, and the tech addict is also kind of doing the exact same thing. It's like something good is gonna come up. The next, like you're searching for that next interesting video that's just gonna be amazingly interesting or funny or whatever right yeah exactly you're looking for that you're almost uh, searching for that perfect high you know and 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 once you achieve it then oh i'm gonna get off now i'm i'm, I'm done i'm done with this device because oh, i finally feel good and uh yeah yeah it's chasing the high that's what you would call it as your if if you're a drug user so that you're doing the same thing really except with a device and it's all lying to yourself because you're telling yourself just one more just like a drug or, or alcohol or whatever you do it and then it's one more mm-hmm. one more and then yeah. just one more yeah. and I, I read I saw this YouTube video that I loved it. they were reading about a book about addiction and they said uh, the addict is extremely negative and pessimistic except in one area where he <laughs> is extremely and uh, irrationally to an extreme degree optimistic <laughs> which is the idea that you know i this time it was going to be different this time i'm gonna you know control himself this time it's not going to be like the last twenty thousand times no this time it's going to be different so it's like that's kind of the addict's brain that uh that lying to ourselves in a crazy level if you really think about it but i mean we we're just so deluded the addiction uh we never kind of realized how much we lied to ourselves right yeah yeah, well, I think that you, you just touched on something that's really kind of cool, and, and I'm glad you said it the way you did. Um, the ability for that positive nature that, that the addict has can actually really be channeled. And it has taken me a while, many years. As I said, I'm coming up on eight years sober, but sometime about a year and a half ago, I was able to begin to channel all of that positive energy of like this outcome to, to say anything I focus my energy on is going to happen. You know, like this, this amazing optimism that it, it will be. When I told somebody I'm going to write a book, everybody said, yeah, right. I'm not kidding. Everybody said, yeah, right. And then I said, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give talks to people. And everybody said, sure you are. You know, everybody doubted me, but I was able to accomplish these things because I still have that addict brain in me that tells me I can do whatever I say I'm going to do. And I think that that's really where that energy now comes from. And uh, it really gives us a unique uh, ability, as anyone who is an addict, to really channel that energy. Well, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, uh, the addiction really kind of shows you <laughs> almost your determination, but in the wrong way. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Here's what not to do. Okay, now that you've destroyed your life, okay, maybe exactly. you should look at doing something else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, I want to talk about your book. Um, sure. The flavors of confidence. Uh, tell us, you know, why you named it that, and uh, tell us, you know, more about it, please. Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, Flavors of Confidence is a memoir uh, about my life, which has been somewhat unique in the fact that I had a, a great number of experiences and I rushed down a ton of different uh, entrepreneurial uh, areas in, in multiple industries. And uh, when I was at my pretty much worst in 2014, I randomly met Samantha Thomas on a beach in Destin, Florida. And Samantha and I uh, started seeing each other, and she decided she was going to fix me. Is she a public figure? No, she's not a public figure. Oh, because the way you said it, I was like, I don't know if I should know her. Okay. No, well, I mean, unfortunately, Samantha has passed away. Oh, but sorry. I will get to that in just a second. Okay. So um, she had recently drawn a self-portrait called Flavors of Confidence, and it was a, it, it was a self-portrait of herself. And it represented basically the fact that we all are made up of a bunch of little pieces that have to work in, in tandem together in order to fulfill and be this image of an actual person. That none of us really possess strong confidence. We just have a bunch of little things that are working together to actually put the semblance of a man before you, right? And in order to stand up, you have to work all these things perfectly or else you look like you're unconfident. So, uh, as she helped me, you know, become sober and over time, I, um, ultimately after she, she was killed tragically in a uh, car accident, uh, oh. by a drunk driver. So the tremendous irony in this, in this, this thing, it's, it's a very, very sad story. Um, and so I resolved then that I was going to finish this book or, or write this book. She had, um, before she, she died, we talked about writing this book together. She was in med school. And so when she graduated, we hoped to co-author this book. Uh, ultimately, I proceeded and wrote it myself. And, um, yeah, so that's the story of Flavors of Confidence uh, and, and why it got its name. Wow. So this idea that uh, Samantha was saying about, so we're basically inherently unconfident yes yes and insecure and then we kind of patch ourselves up in a way to appear that we're not um but is is real confidence uh possible yes real confidence is definitely possible um as as you finally accept yourself That's kind of the finality of the, of the whole concept of, in Flavors of Confidence. It's finding your flavor of it allows mm. you to be and stand as a confident person. And in order to find that flavor, you really have to look at who are you, what, makes, what satisfies you, what, what, what drives you. And then be unapologetic about saying that to someone else. Well, this is who I am. Now... One thing that I always try to tell people to stay away from is don't force people to accept you, but 
just be confident in telling anyone that this is who I am. You don't have to make bend their reality to yours, but you know, it's it's important that you say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be that way because this is who I am, and be willing to walk away. That's true confidence. I mean, to be in a big group and let's say everybody's drinking, there's a challenge to your ability to be confident that you're now sober, right? Mm. To be confident, say, well, I'm sober now and I'm going to walk away from this. Or even more confidence, which is what I feel I've achieved now, is I can stand there and be confident saying, well, I don't drink and I don't do drugs, but you guys can do whatever the heck you want. I'm going to drink my water. And not be at all impacted by it. But, you know, that will take time. But anyone can get there. And it takes time because it takes practice. It takes practice. And, and it takes that reinforcement that you did it. So the first time I actually attempted to stay at a party where they started drinking and doing drugs was something where I was like, okay, I'm going to see how long I can, I, I can do this. I lasted about 10 minutes, and then I just I knew I had to go. Wow. And, then the, and then it was just a repetitive thing to the point now where it doesn't bother me. Anybody can do anything. If I see anything, it doesn't bother me at all. And it used to be just smells you know hand sanitizer mm. uh, how it it's basically alcohol mm-hmm. and uh, that would bug me and actually make me want to drink shortly after I got sober wow yeah and I, I would say put that away <laughs> wow I want to go back to, to the scheduling because yes. uh, I want to ask you so we have we had our goals and mm-hmm. then uh So how do we turn our goals? We well, let's, we turn them, we break them down to year. Yep. How do we now break it down to a schedule? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that the best way to do that is once you you pick out an individual goal, let's say it's a year out, because anything that's a year away, you're going to achieve, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're going to a you know, four-year school or something, <laughs> in which case, obviously, it's going to take four years. Mm-hmm. But most anything that you're trying to achieve can be done in one year. Let's start with something as, as simple as you're going to lose 20 pounds, okay? If, if you're going to lose 20 pounds in a year, then in each quarter, you need to lose five pounds, which means then in, you know, each month, you need to lose about almost two pounds, right? So then, how do you do that? Well, how many calories do I have to burn? What's my intake? And then you break it back into that. Okay, well, I'm currently, I know it's a lot of planning, but you really have to think about it this way. How much do I currently eat? It's this many calories. How much am I currently working out? It's this many calories. Ooh, okay, well, how, how am I going to make this deficit of 500 calories a day? Okay, well, I can do that by walking uh, at night before I go to bed, there's 100 calories, all right? And then I can go and lift weights in the morning at the gym, and there's 250, and then and you, like, build it up. And then you lay those things down in an actual time. Like, I'm going to go for this walk at 9 p.m. I'm going to go to the gym at 6.45. I'm going to, you know, and those are the, the things that are holding you to account to then achieve that goal. And then the most important thing about sobriety is measurement, You know, you've got to take that measurement. So then you're taking that measure every day to actually proceed to to lose that weight. And I, I, I know I'm using weight loss here a couple times, but it's an easy one to kind of lay the foundation for what I'm talking about. Other things are a little bit more nebulous, you know, like I want to get a promotion by the end of the year. Okay, well, yeah. if you're going to if you're going to achieve that, 
what do you have to do to get the promotion? And be honest with yourself. Okay, well, I have to do these things right, and I have to take these skill sets. And then the guy who last got the promotion, he had uh, he had taken this certification program. Okay, well, I better take that certification program. So then you would go through and line that out in your schedule for each day. And then the other most important thing on those daily schedules is be consistent on when you wake up and be consistent on when you go to bed. And these are two things, especially those with tech addiction, really fight is the going to bed at a consistent time because yeah. they get into that, that they start scrolling, you know, oh, and, and they can't put the phone down when they're already in bed. Uh, one thing that I've suggested here is charge your phone in another room and, you know, put it down and then go to bed. And that will allow you to actually go to sleep when you go to bed. Otherwise, you're you're constantly like you grab it. What's your instinct? Mm. A lot of people they sleep with their phone right next to them. They wake up in the middle of the night. They grab their phone. Oh, oh yeah, I got this notification. And then they go into another scroll pattern, and they don't get a good night's sleep. And, mm. and sleep's really important. Definitely, yeah. For me, it's very difficult to because it's at the end of the day. I wake up like at four a.m. So uh, by the night, I'm really tired, and I justify to myself. I need to relax, and then it's just like one more, one more, one more. Before you know it, it's like twelve p. twelve, you know, midnight. But yes. Jesus Christ! So, so let's okay. So you let's okay. So we have you know our different goals that we break mm -hmm. down first. You know, let's say from year to quarter, quarter to monthly, monthly to weekly, weekly to daily, mm -hmm. and then we write it down. Um, We plan, do you plan like your entire week ahead of you or do you do it or do, how do you kind of uh, do that? Yeah, so there are some things that are just going to stay the same throughout. So I, I do it on a, on a weekly basis and I, I, I don't do it this way anymore. But when I first started, I taped it to the mirror in the bathroom. You know, because I'm forced to look at that. You know, you can't. I, that was my holding myself accountable because I had to look at that a few times during the day. Like, ah, okay, I guess I got to go do this. You know, and it also it showed me first thing in the morning. Okay, I got to do this, and I'm doing this. Okay, then I okay, I got to go to work. Then I do this. You know, and so that really helped. And then when Sunday came around. I reviewed where I was at on everything in my sobriety. I would review my journals. Okay, how many trigger points did I have this week? You know, how many, how did I correct everything this week? How did everything go? Okay, that and then I would line out my schedule for the following week. I'd handwrite it and I'd tape it up on that mirror. And then there's the next week's schedule. I mean, things are going to come up and happen. So you want to have, you know, obviously some level of flexibility built into your schedule. But mm. the things that you don't want to compromise are the very beginning of your day and the very end of your day. If those two things are consistent, those that really helps the pattern. And it's, again, that self-affirmation. I achieved that. You know, it didn't matter all the nonsense that happened in the middle day. I woke up this morning. I went and I worked out. I had breakfast. Okay. A bunch of stuff happened. I came home. And, you know, 30 minutes before I went to bed, I scrolled through my phone because I still allow myself 30 minutes a day to do that, you know. And then I put my phone down and I went to bed. And so if you do that consistently, it, it'll reinforce you to – and then things will get easier. It's amazing. Once you lay down like three, four weeks of this, you'll you'll be like, how, how did I not do this, you know, years ago? Yeah. I've had many guests that have said um – about the importance of that wake-up time to wake yeah. up at that early morning time whatever it is for anybody kind of that's where it all starts and i also felt that uh 
once I started to be- wake up early consistently, like suddenly things just started to work out for me. Because yeah, it was the sleep, bad, the bad sleep patterns that kind of uh, made it so difficult for me to to life. Because it was like you know you wake up early and you're behind, and then, so you don't have time to do anything. It's like that. It is so much of life is just like getting that. And I'm getting, I'm getting the 4 a.m. wake up consistently now, but I'm not getting, I'm having a hard time on the sleeping part. <laughs> you have uh, a lot of tired days, don't you? Yep. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I understand. I, w- I, I was right there with you, to be honest. You know, I, I had a consistent wake up time at 4.30. I've moved that to 5 a.m. now, but I, I consistently, I'm, I'm up at 5. And uh, in the beginning, I would do the same thing. You know, I kind of had that motion that went into tech challenge a little bit myself, and I had to correct that. Um, you know, you'd sit there and you'd scroll, and before you know it, I had done that an hour in bed before I went to sleep, and then I'd be dead tired the following day. But I didn't miss the wake-up, and, and that really helped everything. But once I fixed the, the sleep side of things, then it really started to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Things got easier. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, it, it's it's um, like if we control that part, then it's like now we, we can start getting consistency and kind of predictability and then build upon that structure or frame around the day. Exactly. But um, I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe for somebody like myself that has such a hard time uh, going to sleep early, that could be just the first goal just you know just to, to kind of do it you know simple like my goal is going to be to sleep early and just kind of focus on that as a, as a very important thing so that you can start you know reinforcing that behavior of not continuing to scroll and <laughs> you know deciding in the moment when you say one more and you no no <laughs> that was that, that was the last one more you know for today so yeah, exactly. And when you do that, I bet you'll feel better when you get up the following morning too, because you were your last act of yesterday was the reward you got when you woke up in the morning. You got a good night's sleep. Exactly. You could, if you thought about it like that, maybe it would help. Yeah, I know. I like that because yeah, I mean, you wake up, you sleep early, you wake up early, you, you wake up refreshed, you're full of energy. Now you're happy. Now you're excited. Now you're like it. Just everything starts from there. So. Mm-hmm. So I like that, and I, and, I, and I also, a few other guests you're talking about, you know, like like you said as well, that we do not change that wake-up time even if, for whatever reason, you, yeah. you ended up sleeping late because that's key to, even if you have to suffer and drink 10 coffees, like that wake-up time, you can't change it. No, yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't change the wake up, and that includes the weekend. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I got up during the week." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." It's a, even on the weekend. I don't care if you take a nap Saturday afternoon, but you're getting up at whatever time you set for yourself. It's fi- if it's five a.m. I, I I get up at five a.m. on the weekends too, even if I don't need to. Nobody's doing anything, and probably isn't up till ten a.m. But I'm up, and boy, you can accomplish a lot when nobody else is up. Exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> so you don't break your schedule on the weekends, no, uh, at all. Nope, I keep it seven days a week. It's it's just like I get up and I I act as if it's a weekday, but I will admit I do take a nap on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> how long? Just curious. How long is your, are your naps? Uh, generally twenty to thirty minutes, just nice. enough to recharge. Nice. 
Wow. Because the weekend is a, a thing that breaks our momentum. Yes. Very badly. It's like you could five days good and then boom, two days breaking off. So you're always constantly fighting on re-getting that back to normal. And I guess it it's becomes exhausting because it never gets to be a habit because it's always getting broken every week. Right. And I think that that comes back into the affirmation. I, I mean, early on for me, when I was just getting, I would sleep in on the weekends and just be, you know, even though I wouldn't, I wouldn't continue that process as just as you said. And so you can make seven days a week worth of progress in whatever you're trying to accomplish. And if you think about it that way, you'll accomplish more than anybody else. I mean, there's one thing that is very true. The most precious thing we all have is time. And thank you for yours today. You know, this no, has been fantastic no, yeah, um, because we all get 24 hours. The richest guy on earth gets 24 hours. You know, I mean, and, and he works his butt off from my understanding. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a rarity for the guy at the top of the heap. You know, generally they don't work that hard. But uh, at the current moment, evidently we have Elon Musk and he works pretty hard 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. Yeah. Um, and so if you do that, I think it will really help uh, anybody. I mean, even if you're sober, I think that what we're talking about would help anybody because it's a, it's a good habit to be in. Yeah, because, uh, for example... I have, because I haven't been sleeping early because of the doom scrolling, so I'm tired during the day, during the week, and then I justify sleeping late on the weekends because I have to catch up. But that's fixing the, the problem in the wrong way because the problem was not is that I slept late. Yeah. So if I just if I find ways to, you know, to justify sleeping late, so now I rested because I needed it. But I needed it because I didn't do the first part, which is sleeping early. But now, mm-hmm. because I did that, I'm actually uh, my sleep schedule is now weird again. So yeah. it's like it all starts, you know, spiraling and out of control from there. What you just described is you're bargaining with yourself. You're, mm-hmm. You've you've decided, oh, I was good, so I'm going to give myself this, you know. And and in the in the process, you've bargained away your gain that you made. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. The weekend, I hate the weekend. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. I, I mean, you're not alone. I mean, I'd say the vast majority, probably ninety percent of the world, operates that way. If you can break free into the other way of thinking, I think you'll find a lot greater success in what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, because the weekend is just perfectly good days. They don't. They're not. I think they put in our brain like those are squander days. Those are useless days. No, they're exactly the same as every other day. Yeah, yeah. There's not to be wasted. Um, I mean, awesome. We, we covered so much. Uh, so please tell us, you know, as we wrap up, tell us, you know, again, where they can get your book, the title, you know, anything that you want to, you know, share with the audience, uh, websites, etc. Please. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much again for your time today. This has been fantastic, and uh, I really learned a couple things myself. And that's oh, those are always you. the the best conversations is when you can learn from whoever you're engaging with. So thank you for that. No, thanks so much. Uh, so MassimoRigatti.com is uh, my website. My book is Flavors of Confidence. It's available on Amazon, Apple Books, anywhere books are sold. You can ask for it anywhere around the world and get a copy. Um, it, it lines everything out for you in a very uh, easy way to understand and to execute. And I really encourage anyone who is struggling 
with any type of addiction to give it a read. And if you know someone who is struggling, you can buy and give them a copy. So, I, again, thank you so much for your time today, David. No, it's been such a pleasure. So I just want to tell the listeners uh, that are list- that are obviously listening, uh, but because I'm going to put everything in the show notes, but I also like to say the exact spelling of the name so people can type it in immediately. So it's M uh, as in Mark A S S I M O. So this is the website. I'm going to say the website. It's Massimo with the double S. Uh, Rigotti. It's R I G O double T I dot com. That is correct. Perfect. All right. Any last uh, parting thoughts that you want to share? I just would like to share with everyone listening that don't give up on yourself, that everyone has the ability to create their own unique flavor of confidence and to stand up sober. Blow it up.